Thanks for tuning in to Good Vibrations with Kristen, where humanness meets spirituality. Are you ready to be inspired? Do you want to have a greater connection to the earth, each other, and ultimately yourself? Join in the conversation with Kristen Ace and her fascinating guests to share the light, laughter, and the illumination of Good Vibrations. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Good Vibrations with Kristen. Today, we have an amazing guest. Her name is Kate Bartolotta. She is the author of Heart Medicine, Write Your Story, Heal Your Heart. And I just have to say, uh, reading her book was the reason why we came up with the topic of healing your heart. We had a completely different topic for today, but when I read her book, I thought, we really, we really don't talk enough about the heart and why it is so important to open up our hearts and live in that way. So um, here to share that with me is Kate. How are you doing, Kate? Kristen, I'm well, excited to talk to you about this today. <laughs> I have to tell you that everywhere on Facebook and Twitter, there was something about the heart. And I thought, you know what? The universe is conspiring to That's support wonderful. Kate and I on this conversation. So your your book talks about healing the heart through writing. And I just wanted to like chat up about what it's like to live in the world through your heart, as opposed to your intellect and your mind and your, um, in that form of consciousness. Well, I think, you know, I think there's a place for both, obviously, Mm -hmm. but when you're making your decisions from a really heart centered point of view, it's just easier easier to trust that you're doing the right thing. I mean, you can, you know, think about any any big decision, not the silly everyday, you know, lunch and things like that, but when it, we can make lists of pros and cons all over the place, but then when it really comes down to it, it has to feel, you know, you have to feel it at a gut level and a heart level. Oh, um, but I don't, you know, I think that in people, order to go through. yeah, but I think people actually make decisions all the time and, and thinking that they are the right decisions that don't at all come from the heart. Don't you? I do, and I think a lot of times those are the, you know, sort of the decisions that look good on paper are the ones that people end up making over and over. I mean, if you, even if you just look at the realm of, if you were to say just jobs and relationships, like just those right. two categories, um, when we make those decisions based on how things look on paper or the, the intellectual, uh, I, you know, there may be people who are an exception to that rule, but I think if you... I know for me, when I've made decisions that way, they're always it's always been the wrong decision or it's always oh, yeah. something that ends up having to be done over. Yeah, oh, I um, agree. But I think that a lot of people don't even understand that they're not making decisions from their heart. Like, I just feel like there needs to be an awakening within the heart chakra worldwide. Oh, absolutely. Because... I think, um, go ahead. No, no, go I, one of the exercises I do with, with people when we do um, writing workshops is to actually do some movement and body awareness exercises as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily phrase it in, you know, in terms of the heart chakra, but just paying attention to where you feel things in the rest of your body when you're discussing something or when you're making a decision. Because it's there, it's going on, but I think a lot of times our society gears things towards being so much in your head that people sort of tune it out. Well, and that's, um, and that's, that brings me to this. I have to say a quote from your book. It says, I find pieces of myself 
um, that I never thought I would untangle through writing. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people don't even understand that they are all tangled up in something and that untangling those feelings or the past or their emotions helps them get centered in a heart place. Definitely. Um, and it, it does help um, make actual physical changes as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things, um, I'm in a graduate class right now uh, in neuroscience, because I had gotten to the point where I was doing research on this and doing research for my next book, and um, you might remember there was a, a part where I mentioned in the book about how um, psychologists have now found that having their clients physically write out their stories yes. and maybe even rewrite what they would, you know, where they want things to go next yes. actually helps them make better progress than just thinking about it and talking about it. Right. And so I decided, you know, I had been reading all this research and I decided um, I have somewhat of a science background as well. So I decided to audit um, a neuroscience class so that I could really get in and, and understand how it actually, doing this writing actually changes the, the neural phys- pathways in your brain. Right, the physiology of it all. Yes. That's right. Well, I mean, there's, there's proof that meditation yes. changes your thought process because you're open. You know, you're opening up to the divine. So that actually changes your entire body, not just, oh, I'm oh, yeah. relaxed and calm now, but my body chemistry is shifting. Yes, and you're up- actually making yourself a different person. Right, you're upgrading. That's what I think of it as. Yeah, oh, I like that. <laughs> every day I get a little upgrade. <laughs> I can be a little better me. You know, and I, I, I don't know. I know you have kids, so I was going to ask you. Yes. Because for me, certainly I was on the path to opening up my heart when um, I, when I met my husband and, and, and really started to really understand love, which I did not understand or had not experienced in the way that I do and did with, with my husband. But when we had kids, my I feel like my heart chakra blew open. I mean, just there was like no way, there was no more um, keeping it closed. I had so much love for these incredible people that, we brought into the world that I had to open up my heart. And I don't know if you had that experience when you had kids. I feel like it was the first time I really understood. Oh, I, I first understood how much my parents loved me. First of all, um, you know, because it, <laughs> I didn't it's get just, that. <laughs> no, but I thought, Oh wow. You know, I really kind of understood. I mean, you know, all parent child relationships have their quirky stuff too, but right. um, it made me realize sort of where they were coming from in, in terms of you have this tremendous responsibility to show mm-hmm. this new human being how to do everything. Right. And you want to do it right. And you want to, it really gave me an insight into, um, I don't know that we truly have unconditional love 100% for anyone. No, not yet. But I think, I think in the parent child relationship, or I w- even want to say in the relationships between adults and children in their lives. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people experience that, even that are not biological parents. Well, oh, absolutely. Um, but I will say that it really depends on how. Yeah. Oh, it, it depends it on how open your heart really is, and if yes. you're willing to continue to open it and see life from a different perspective. Because I know for me, it was very easy when the kids were little, but as they <laughs> moved into their teen life, it has been a constant um, awakening for me to work on my heart, to open up to understand the things that they're going through, not take it on and, and, and love them through it instead of taking it personally or, um, 
you know, because it's a challenging time for them. And I already did it. So, and, my, <laughs> and, and mine was really different than theirs. And I didn't come from the same house of support and love that, that they have. But that doesn't mean that they still don't have their challenges. And so it's been a constant process for me to continually keep my heart open. But it takes work. I, I agree. Now, my children are younger, but I, one of the things that I experienced um, early on was a real shift of thinking of them as my children mm, mm-hmm. versus thinking of them as these are these separate people that right. I have to, um, you know, that I love, but, but really understanding that acceptance of a separate person rather than I think a lot of our societal ideas about parenting is that they belong to us and what they do that's either that we perceive as good or bad kind of reflects on us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I don't know if it was some of it was just um, it, whether I don't know what precipitated it. But there, I remember a point when my daughter was maybe a month or two old of just realizing this is this separate person that I get to show how to do you know how to do everything and what an awesome responsibility that is and, and just wanting to get it right and realizing that I wouldn't. Mm. Um, but. I think, ha- for me anyway, having that distinction of her as, as this separate person and not belonging to me mm-hmm. gave me a greater compassion for all other people. Because really, that's, I mean, that's, we have that responsibility to everybody that's you right. know, to kind of model, model the, the best or model the best of um, compassion and to model love for each other, not just for the children in our lives. Well, and um, I, I, for, I'll, for I'll take that one step further and say that we have that responsibility for everything. Yes. And, yes, and I feel that I feel that responsibility in my heart. I really do. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I, I, yesterday, <laughs> you know, and I've been prepping for our talk, and um, yesterday I was driving my son home from fencing, and we have to go down a very dark, windy back country road, and it's dangerous, um, and be, particularly because it's where the deer cross. And so mm. I cool. never ever go the speed limit. I always go probably twenty miles right. below the speed limit because I'm always freaked out that I'm going to to, to hurt some some animal, and I just can't, I couldn't mm-hmm. live with myself. So on our way home, um, there was deer. In the, in the middle of the road on the other side and she was still alive but she was not well so she had been hit and left and um, so I immediately pulled off and set my blinkers on and kept my lights on so that people coming the other the direction that she she was in would um, see her because it's so dark there that somebody would run over her again and wow. I was flipping out of my brain and crying, and I've got my lights on, and I'm flashing, I'm, and I've called 911, and they've said, somebody already called it in, we're on our, someone's on their way, and I'm crying, I'm like, please, you have to come now, she's, she's not doing well, and I'm sobbing, and my 16-year-old son is holding my hand, and people are driving, I'm flashing them, flashing, flashing, flashing my brights, and everyone is ignoring me, and speeding, and then coming upon the deer, which is only, you know, two feet behind me Mm. on their side of the road and then realizing, oh crap, there's a deer in the road and she's Mm. still alive. 
and then swerving at the last minute. So she's flipping out because she can't move, and the cars are coming at her. And I'm, you know, flashing my lights, flashing my lights. And then somebody flashed their lights back at me like, screw you. And that person, yeah. that person barely swerved in time to not hit that deer. And I am just sitting in my car thinking, how is this possible? I have my flashers on. I'm frantically flashing my lights, and no one is slowing down. Now, somebody came along my side and from the school, recognized our car, saw the deer, pulled over, came running out of her car, wanted to know if we were okay, did we need anything. I said, you know, we did not hit her, but we're waiting here. We want to protect her. And the, the woman was so sweet and kind. And then we, we told her we were okay. And I'm still crying. And, I, and then all of a sudden, this car comes and starts slowing down, slowing down. And I'm flashing my lights. And he slows down. He parks his car on the road, puts his flashers on, gets out of his car, his truck. And at first I thought, oh, this must be the police officer. But it wasn't. It was just some man. Yeah, right? And he said, are you okay? And I, and then, you know, I'm sobbing. There's a tear. She's dying. Now, right before, I want to say this. This is really important. Right before this man came, I said out loud, angels, please send somebody to help this deer. Please help this deer. Please help this deer. At that, about two seconds after I said that, she laid her head down. And the man drove up. And he, he said, I've, I've been in this situation before, and I know how to move her. I'm strong enough to move her off the road so that she doesn't get hurt anymore. Um, he said, you know, can you stay where you are and keep flashing people? I said, of course, absolutely. We, we will help you in any way we can. So I'm doing that. He's got his flashers on. Now people are slowing down because he's in the middle of the road, and he's pulling the deer off into the woods. And it was clear that she was dead. Yeah. And he came to my window and he said, he said, it's all done now. Um, oh. And she's at Pete's. And I said, thank you so much for helping us and helping the deer. And he started crying. And he oh. said, this is, he said, I came upon this once before. Um, and there was a woman with her children in the car and they had hit her. And I told the kids, the deer is just sleeping and they were so happy to know that she was sleeping. And he's crying while he's telling me this. And um, he said, and we waited and waited and waited for the police to come. And um, the police didn't come, so I shot her. I, I put her out of her misery, and then right. I got arrested. He got Oh, no. Yes. And my son and I are at the edge of our seat listening to his story. I wasn't Right. No, I wasn't either. And I was, then I would, then I really, tears are flowing and my son is holding my hand tight. And I said, I'm so sorry that happened to you, but I'm so grateful that you could step up and do the right thing. And he said, well, I'm grateful that you were here. And I, I mean, I never say this to people. I said, God bless you. And he was crying. He said, God bless you too. And off we, we both went. And I said to my son, Landon, here's an opportunity to see who is actually living in their heart. The people who just drove by or the people who stopped. And so I'm going to focus my gratitude on the two people who stopped. Yeah. You know, and so that's what I mean. I think people make decisions thinking, oh, I hit the deer. There's nothing I can do. I'm leaving. I've already called it in. 
Or, well, I don't know what that person's flashing me about, but I'm going to keep going. So, Or even the distinction that you made at the end there about focusing your gratitude on the people that helped. Right. Because you could have then left that situation and worked yourself into being upset about the people that didn't. Right. So, you know, and, it's all of those little choices. Right. And that is in itself how, because how, I thought more and more, I thought about this, I thought when we are living in our heart, we are not judging the people who are not. We're shining yeah. the light for them to do better. Yeah. So that man even did better than what I did because I couldn't get out of my car and move that deer. No. But you at least provided a space that someone who had that skill um, would be able to. Right. You know, I think that can be over. We can become overwhelmed by the fact that there are so many, you know, worldwide problems. Yes. That even in our community problems or day-to-day problems like that, that we can't always take care of on our own. Right. And right. I think, you know, then we have the choice to either become overwhelmed and say, well, I can't do anything and, you know, and, you know, be like the people that just kind of sped on by. Right. Or we can do what we can do. Well, and you I... know, it, even if it's something as simple as, you know, the choice between worrying about someone and just sending them love when they come to mind. Right. Well, and I love what you write in the book because you say there, there, it's never too late to start shifting yourself, to change yeah. your perspective and live, you know, live in your heart space, live in the healing, write your story down, grab the pieces of your heart that have, you know, that have gone undercover and bring them back out into consciousness. It's never too late. Yes. And also that it's never... When you catch yourself, I don't think any of us ever get to a point where it's 100% all the time that we do that. Mm -mm. I think it's, you know, like the heart is a muscle, it's a muscle that we, it becomes more habitual the more we do it. But then when we catch ourselves, I often say my biggest um, challenge in the day to day is there's a, the parking lot at my children's school is ridiculously (laughs) small. It's the silliest, it's, it's ridiculously small for the school population, just the population has grown and um, the parking lot really cannot accommodate it. And in the wintertime, as you can imagine, it's all the worse. And, you know, <laughs> less than charitable thoughts about <laughs> people that don't follow the flow of traffic. But it's it's little things like that. Like when you catch yourself in the day-to-day, right. um, you know, not kind of being in your ego or being in your head about things, when you catch it, to change. Right. To not say, well, I'll do it differently next time. I mean, it's kind of like health habits. You know, if you... Yeah. If you eat a bunch of junk food, you don't say, well, that's it. I'm, I'm just going to eat junk food from now on. You know, you say, oh, well. <laughs> well, I have done that. going to have a smell. Well, <laughs> we have those days, too. But, you know, that, you know, that you're not going to just sort of become a glutton and not never take care of yourself again. But right. then the next time you choose something healthier. But and it is the same building thing. Habits. Yeah, it is the same thing for consciousness or heart health yeah. or or love, or loving others, or loving yourself. Because I think when we, I, I know that I am very hard on people, and I realized I'm hard on people because I am so hard on myself. My expectations yeah. of, of what I must do in the world, I, I, I think if anybody actually got in my head, they might explode of the expectations. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think, exactly. well, <laughs> well, I bring that out wherever I go. I expect this. I expect that. I think for my kids, I realized, wow, 
it's real. They were saying both of them at, at different times have said things like, "Well, you know, Mom, you're different," and I thought, "No, I don't. I'm not that different. I'm not. You guys, I'm not perfect. I so mess up all the time. Mm. So you know, I'm so very, very human. But I realize, and and I again, this is something that has become really profoundly important to me is what I say inside of myself to myself. I echo out. And so I have to practice compassion. I have to practice. Yeah. I have to practice in the parking lot with those people who are really bleeping annoying me. Yeah. Or with larger things, you know, like when we see different tragedies go on, you know, there were the shootings yesterday um, in France. Mm. Whenever there's a tragedy, there's that immediate response of like finger pointing and whose fault is it and what, you know, these (laughs) laws are wrong rather than. Just compassion for the dead, compassion right. for those who are in such a hateful place that they could do those things, right. compassion for all of the families. Um, really, that's the most useful. Unless you're, you know, in a position where you are, you know, um, investigating the the crime. Right. Um, the most useful thing for us to do is usually um, compassion. And, and that's right. Pray and meditate and send love the way to the people because there are other people now who are suffering the pain of loss. So how can yeah. we help them? Send them love. Send them compassion. You're right. It's really, and it's once you start practicing that, it becomes, like you said, the heart muscle. It becomes easier to go f- from a point of view of who's at fault and who am I going to blame to, wow, I need to send love there. Definitely. And like you were saying with the, um, the self-love, I think the more self-love, and I even want to make a distinction between self-love and self-acceptance. Mm. Um, because if we thought about, you know, our relationships with others, if all we did was accept them and not love them, it's, that's a pretty big gap. Um, yes. And I, I don't think they're interchangeable. But the more that we practice self-love, the more the love that we give others is really genuine. And it's mm-hmm. not sort of to make them like us. To <laughs> ma- you know, it's, it's not to some self-serve. No, really. You know, no, it's know. some self-serving end. It can really be genuine, um, genuine love and compassion. Well, there's also the acceptance from like people who accept you from a higher place. Like they're better than you. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're just not there yet. Someone said that to me once and I go, well, if I'm not there, then where the bleep am I? I was so mad. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? I'm standing right here. So wherever I am, I'm here. But it's true. That's not acceptance either. That's just I'm way better than you and, and, and I'm, I'm more advanced than you. Like, I'm like, well, I'm sure the Dalai Lama does not look down on people going, I'm so much better than you. Pray with me. Yeah, I think, I think he's never, I'm guessing he's never said that to anyone. Well, you'll get there eventually. Right, exactly. He knows there's really no there that we ever get to. So. <laughs> yeah, because Nobody's ever there. No, no. I, I mean, I don't, I dream of that utopian that when we are all there. I really do dream about that. Yeah. And I think that that would be wonderful. Um, I'm convinced it can happen. But, you know, we have some ways to go. So, so practicing. As long as we have driving, I think it's going to be. Oh yes, I'm serious. That that and that's so funny because I've made it my conscious effort last year and and pulling it even deeper into this year of being a polite, unruffled driver. Especially when I'm in a hurry, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to slow down and let that person in because I'm in a hurry and I'm going to be a jerk if I'm not. 
Right. It's not their fault I'm late. It's not their fault I decided to pet the cat for another five minutes instead of getting the car. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, driving. I remember long ago when road rage first came into being and people were shooting each other. And at the time yeah. I wasn't a driver and I thought, my God, who would shoot somebody over, a, you know, being in a car? And once I started driving, I went, oh, my God, I understand it. <laughs> it really brings out. It really brings out our society's um, lower vibrations. It definitely does. <laughs> I think you mentioned something about, you know, the lateness and stuff. I think it is an area where just such simple habit changes can really make it easier for us. Like right. If you know that you have a long drive, bringing good music, allowing extra time, bringing water, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. If you have a long drive with children, bringing mm-hmm. something for them to do. Yes. Um, you know, well, and- it's... Uh, to change the parts that we can change. Yes. And even something as small for me, this is me, because before mm-hmm. I had children, I was five to 10 minutes early all the time because that's my personality. Yeah. And then I had children. And for some reason, I was unable to time manage after that. And I have no excuse now because they're teenagers and they don't, I don't have a diaper bag and 10,000 toys and baby stuff and breastfeeding. I don't have any of that. So I realized that as soon as I think to myself, oh, I can do just this one more thing, that's the time <laughs> to actually get away from my computer or garden or cats or cooking and go. And so that's the other thing I've been working on is, oh, that's my cue to not do it and <laughs> just get in that's, my car. That's a good tip. But it takes, it, it's been taking me all these years of driving to pay attention to that and go, oh, that's my little, that's my little signal of saying, I'm going to be late. If I do that next thing that I think I have time for, I will be late. So, so I'm really, um, I'm really, that is a, has been a focus of mine. It's funny how, you know, we started out talking about some of the larger things in terms of being heart centered in big decisions and Mm -hmm. relationships, but it really is those little everyday things that make it a real habit. That's right. Because those things add up. That's what puts it into practice. Yeah. That's right. It makes it, and it also makes it easier to trust to use your heart for the big things because you've already been doing it with all the little things. You've already been turning it over. You've already been opening up. You've already been listening to inside of yourself. And I want to say, um, I'm going to read one more thing from your book. I mean, I just have this, the, your book, if you were sitting here in front of me, you'd laugh. I have little tabs everywhere all over your book, but it says... Oh, that's cool. That's what it's set up to do. It's a doodle in it and write in it. And, oh, yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. And I, I will make sure that there's a link for everybody to find you and find your book. But it says here, you say, when we take ownership of the stories inside of us, they become more than just personal myths. They become a tool we can use to grow, heal, and transform our lives. They become our heart medicine. And I think if people actually knew their stories more profoundly and more intimately, they would find it easier to go into their heart space and heal and be whole again. I agree. I mean, <laughs> I agree. And I, I, I agree with your take on it. And I think that it's also that, you know, as we were talking about the self-acceptance and the self-love, to look at those stories and realize that we have control over changing at any point. You know, we touched on this earlier, but to own your story, 
not to try to spin it for other people or not to try and say, well, this part was bad, but you know, I'm not going to look at that. But to own where you were mm. and then realize that once you dig in, you can change if right. there are parts that you need to change. Right. Well, with that um, sentiment, we have to close the show. I want to Thank you. It's been great speaking with you. I, I thank you so much for your, your gift of the book and um, your gift of helping people tell their stories and write them down and for your time here on the show. And so I want to say goodbye to you, Kate, for now. I'd love for you Bye, to come Christian. back. <laughs> and I want to uh, s- come back again. Oh, great. Good. I hope so. And uh, I'm going to say to everybody out there in my audience, please pick up Kate's book and please start knowing your stories and please start opening your hearts because that's where, that's where we actually know each other. I love you. We hope that you found this episode of GDK inspiring. And to raise your vibration even higher, visit my website, at goodvibrationswithkristen.com. And don't forget to like Good Vibrations with Kristen on Facebook. What inspires you? Write us, let us know, so we can share your ideas on the show. And meanwhile, keep listening, keep connecting, and know that you are divinely guided.